um, I've been praying uh, about what to uh, particular text to, to share with today, share with you, and um, the Lord's taken me to a very obscure passage that probably you guys have never heard of, uh, which is in Acts 2.42, uh, which actually Kathy Cox almost preached my message today, so... Uh, uh, but I would like, uh, if you turn to that, uh, because I know that scripture is embedded in your name, and there's a reason for that, because it does um, illustrate the, the life of the church, uh, the early church, and uh, how God was working among those believers. Beginning in, uh, on 42, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always uh, has captured me by this is uh, basically speaking about the characteristics of the church, the early church. But I want to look at something a little different today. Uh, several weeks ago, I was uh, looking at some pictures of people who were looking at the events of 9-11. Uh, so all you were doing was looking at the faces of people as they were reacting to what was happening on that uh, 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 horrible day. And um, it was obvious they were looking at something they had never seen before. And uh, you could almost, if you didn't know what the pictures were about, you could tell uh, something uh, horrendous was happening in front of their eyes just simply by the reaction on their faces. Uh, and I got to thinking, you know, many times... The reaction of people can really tell us more about what's going on than if we were actually looking at what was going on. And, um, and that's what I want to look about, at in this particular, these verses, because in these verses, not only do we have the description of the church after it's infused with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the way that's played out in the life of the believers uh, where they are, but it also has a, kind of an interesting uh, view of the reaction of the community in which the church, uh, uh, where the church was in Jerusalem. So here's the church in Jerusalem, and you have uh, two things that are said about the reaction of the Jerusalem community to these followers of Jesus. And actually, the reaction that they give are, are kind of two extreme reactions that generally we don't put together. But I think whenever the supernatural power of God is being manifest among the people and being vehicled by that people out and through the community, then uh, these are, this is the reaction that we can expect from the community as they see what's going on. So I want us to look at that reaction of Jerusalem to the early church. And, and I want to ask you this question, uh, which I think is important for all of us, as, uh, as Steve has mentioned, as a network, as churches, uh, because our, our purpose is not just to plant a lot of churches, but we want these churches to really be a means by which the supernatural transforming presence of God 
can be in our life as well as be ministered out into the community. And so the question is, are we willing to go after this reaction from our community and, and in a sense, live with this reaction from our community? And if we do, it will cost us, as we were uh, reminded in, in, uh, in the worship today, that there, there is a cost, a willingness to say, you know, this is important. This is our calling as a people in this season in which we live. And are we willing to give ourselves to what God has called us to? Or are we simply going to sign on with what's happening with much of the American church? And as many of you know, the American church is pretty well flatlined right now. Not a whole lot going on. And so the question is, are we going to sign on to that and not even get a yawn out of the community around us? You know, uh, the community not even be aware that we're here. So, so the question is, what is the reaction of the, of the community to a, a true uh, church that is uh, filled with the supernatural power of God and is ministering and blessing with that power out in the community? Uh, and as I mentioned, there are two reactions. We'll take the, the, the first one, and that is, uh, I believe... There is a fear in the community. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what the word all means when it says everybody was in all. Uh, the Greek word is the same word we get the, uh, for phobia, a fear. Now, I'm not talking about a terrorizing fear like on the faces of those people that are watching 9-11. Uh, not a terror about the church, although there are some churches that may create terror. I don't know, but... Uh, um, uh, the, maybe uh, the, the word I'm going for here is an uncomfortableness, uh, maybe a, a, an anxiousness, uh, a little apprehension about what's going on in the church. You see, uh, Jerusalem was looking on at these believers in this Messiah named Jesus. And as they were looking at them... Uh, they were seeing a number of things going on. They were, they, were, they were seeing things they had never seen before. They were experiencing feelings they had never known before. And they were hearing words that they had never heard before, radical words in terms of what was being said, words that carried with them an unusual authority, words that exalted the person of Jesus, this, this man from Nazareth. Uh, words that were saying things about him, some things that had been unheard of in Israel, unheard of in Jerusalem. And so there was a bit of a, uh, an uncomfortableness about what was going on. Now, here's what I want you to hear. They, they were not uncomfortable with the activity of the early believers. They were uncomfortable with the presence of God among the early believers. They sensed that the awesome power and majesty of a holy God was dwelling in their midst. And that made them apprehensive. It made them uncomfortable. It, it, it made them a little nervous when they, when they got around these people and saw all the things that were going on, all the things that were, that were taking place in their life. So the question I have for you today is this. Is there enough of the presence of God in our life that makes the people around us a little nervous? A little anxious? Uh, in this way, that they're, they're sensing something 
that's beyond what they've known in this culture. They're sensing a reality that's greater than what their life has offered. And it makes them a little nervous, uncomfortable, because it's new. It's, it's, it's a reality they've not experienced before, and they're trying to figure out, what is this? What is this going on among these people? What is this going on in this person's life that I know that is beyond anything I've ever experienced before? And they're trying to adjust and figure out and, 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 and realize what is exactly taking place in our life. Is there enough of that going on within us that people see it? Are we crying out to God, Lord, we, we must have the manifestation of your grace and power in our lives. You read this passage, it talks about signs and wonders. These signs and wonders, which were miracles and healings and, and salvation and all the, the wonders of the kingdom, were signs not to point to the church, but to point to God who was pouring out his favor upon these people. And it was an indication of God's presence among them. Are we asking God for that? Are we asking God for His presence in this place and in our lives so that when people come in contact with us, they sense Him? They sense the majesty of His presence. They're, they're aware that there's something greater and bigger going on here than just a group of people gathering or just one person who's, who's come into my life and who's speaking to me. I think that's one of the great values of prophecy. Prophecy is more than just delivering some information into a person's life. It's also delivering the presence of God into a person's life when you give that word. And that's what catches people's attention, that there's something more here than just words being spoken. I sense the Lord's presence in what's going on here. Or I sense a presence. Maybe they don't even know how to define it. But they're aware something is going on. Uh, when you... Uh, when you look at the, the people of Jerusalem, one of the things that made them nervous about these early believers was what these early believers were saying. Because uh, they were saying, we know who the Messiah is. Now, all Jews knew wh who the Messiah was. The Messiah was this mysterious figure that Daniel speaks about and has kind of showed up in many different passages in the Old Testament prophets. This figure who would bring this present evil age to an end and bring a new time when God's glory would fill the earth and we would enjoy him forever. And so they're always wondering who this person is and when would he come. And suddenly there's a group of people in Jerusalem who are saying, we know who he is. He's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And before he brings this present evil age to an end and brings the kingdom of God on earth in all of its fullness... He's now bringing His kingdom of God into our lives as followers of His. And it's our responsibility to bless those out into the community so that they too can know this Messiah. And they were not only saying that Jesus is Messiah, but they took it a step further. And this was what was really shaking the community and still shakes Jerusalem. They were saying this Jesus is God. They were saying, they were saying we have seen God manifest in the flesh in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. When Paul says in Romans that if you're to be saved, you must confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he is referring to a word in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, the Jews didn't want to use the word Yahweh because it was such a sacred term for their God. And so they used 
the Greek word Lord. And so when you're reading your scriptures where it says Lord in the Psalms, basically that means Yahweh. And so when Paul says, you must confess your, with your mouth, Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is God, it shook the Jerusalem community. These were radical words, uncomfortable words, difficult words, where these people were exalting this person, Jesus, this man, Jesus, and saying he's not just man, he's God. Now, what really threw them was that God didn't strike them dead. As a matter of fact, God blessed these followers of Jesus. The God of Israel was pouring out his grace and his mercy and his life upon them because they were exalting his son. And, and as he poured out his grace upon them, the Jerusalem community was puzzled, to say the least, by what all was going on. So that was the reaction of the community. They were reacting to the, to the experiences they had never seen, to the words they had never heard, to what was going on, uh, things they were feeling that they had never felt before when they were among these believers. Now, the question is, why, why is that not happening in the American church? And I think one of the reasons is that we've kind of gotten off on this rabbit trail where we, we feel that we as the church need to make people comfortable when they come into the church. And, uh, and, and there is a bit of truth there, and I'm going to tell you what I think that truth is in a moment. But one of the things I think is caused in the church is a willingness to dial down the presence of God so people don't feel uncomfortable in His presence. Uh, kind of our, our, our seeker-sensitive posture is we need to make seekers so comfortable that uh, they don't, you know, they, they'll come in and be a part of what's going on. Now, yes, we need to create a, a church of hospitality. But if making people feel comfortable means we dial down our going after God's presence in our midst, then we're missing what the church is all about. We live for His presence. And let me say this. We are living in a culture of death where people need to be uncomfortable with the presence of God. We need to be uncomfortable with the presence of God. We need to sense His majesty, His power, His love, His mercy, His grace. And I believe the people around us in this community who do not know Jesus, they hunger for that. They're dying for it. They're saying there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. And so if they walk in and they sense something going on here that's bigger and greater than they've ever experienced, I don't believe it'll turn them off. I believe it will draw them in because their, their souls hunger for His presence. So it is God's presence that makes them uncomfortable. Now hear me on this. It is God's presence that makes them uncomfortable, not our activities. It is not the church's responsibility to make the community uncomfortable. It's God's presence that makes them uncomfortable, not what we do. And uh, there's kind of a, uh, uh, I was sharing earlier, there's, there's enough uh, charismatic silliness going on in the church today. It makes God uncomfortable, you know. Uh, uh, if, if God wants to show up and do things that he wants to do, we welcome it. Even if we don't understand what he's doing, we welcome what he's, do, he's doing. But we don't have to 
trying to reproduce God's presence by our activity. We just welcome his activity and let him do what he wants to do in the church. And, uh, and our responsibility is to create an environment of hospitality and love, a, a, an environment that welcomes people so that even as they're dealing with the awesome presence of God, they want to come in. They want to come in and be a part and engage the reality of his presence uh, and, and experience this Jesus whom we're going after with all of our hearts. So uh, I want to encourage you in this area. Uh, a number of years ago, many years ago, when I was a senior in college at Asbury College, we experienced a revival at that college. Uh, it was 1970. And uh, God came, uh, he drew near to us, his presence was on the campus for, uh, for a full week. We called off classes, we met in the chapel day and night uh, in his presence. Uh, it was a wonderful outpouring of the Spirit of God. But I remember at the end of that week, we were sending out teams to uh, different uh, churches and campuses because they were hearing what was going on at Asbury. And... Uh, uh, and one of the things about revival, and I've seen this in all revivals, is that it's easily transferable. It doesn't take a whole lot to transfer and vehicle the presence of God into other areas when God is moving in such power. And so we sent teams all over. And I remember there was one team going to a seminary down in Texas. And this seminary, although they had heard about the revival, they were a little reluctant to have uh, the revival come to their seminary. Uh, they just were a little nervous about the Holy Spirit. And so, but somehow these three students got invited to come to the seminary. And so they go down there and the, uh, the president of the seminary was so nervous that he had kind of given them a corner of the chapel service that day. Just kind of a little space to kind of get up and share what's going on at Asbury. They didn't give them the whole service. So one of the students got up and he just simply said this, look, we're from Asbury College this week in chapel at Tuesday at chapel. The Lord came, and he's been there ever since, and things are happening. Folks are getting saved and filled with the Spirit. Wonderful things are happening, and we just want to come and let you guys know. And then he simply lifted his hand up and said, Jesus is Lord. And I mean, the Spirit of God hit that place. Folks started running to the altar. The bell rung. The president got up and said, we've got to go to classes, but it was too late. <laughs> God was loose. <laughs> And uh, he was changing people right there. And uh, what, what amazed me is that, you know, it was just a simple testimony. But when we, when we carry the presence of the Lord, it doesn't take a whole lot. We don't, we don't have to fire it up and try to help God. His presence is enough. We just need to be a delivery system of who he is into the lives of the people around us. And, uh, and, and welcome him. Yes, however he wants to move. And that can at times uh, be beyond our categories of experience. But it's his, it's his movement, his sovereign movement upon our life that makes the difference. So the first reaction of the community in Jerusalem was one of fear. Again, not a terrorizing fear, but an uncomfortableness, a, an anxiousness, because they were bumping up against the the holy presence of God in a way that, that had never been known in Israel's history, a people that had always gone after God. And they were experiencing God in this, in this powerful way. But then the other reaction was this. There was this fear, but if you read at the end of that paragraph, the other reaction was favor. And favor was not just a, 
uh, tolerating what was going on. It was actually a uh, preferring what was going on. Preferring it over something else. What were they preferring it over? They were preferring it over what they were experiencing in their own life. When they looked at these spirit-filled believers who were being transformed by the power of the Spirit into the very character of Jesus and the way they lived. If you want to see how they lived, read that paragraph. They were giving of the stuff they had. They were investing in the lives of the people, in their homes. They were gathering together in fellowship. Joy filled the place. The fruit of the Spirit was bubbling out of their lives. There were, people were coming to the Lord. Folks were being added into this, into this movement daily because of, uh, of the favor that the community had toward these followers of Jesus. Uh, they, they, were, they were amazed at the kind of life they were seeing, a life transformed by the work of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. And um, again, I asked the question, are we seeing enough of the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our life that people, when they look at us, are not seeing the American culture, they're seeing the kingdom culture. And they favor it over the American culture. They say, what I see in your life, I like. It's not the self-absorption, the self-interest that I see in this culture. It is a self-giving that is rare. And I see you giving yourself to this with joy, not fighting to do it, but because you delight in doing it. What is it in you that's causing this to happen? Are we seeing people responding to us as individuals, uh, to you as a church here at Vintage 242, saying, I see something here. I favor it. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what's going on. I favor it over my life. I favor it over what's going on in my life. You see, one of the things you have to realize is that uh, the... um, the people that were watching them, that were favoring what was going on, were not people in sin. Uh, well, yeah, well, they sinned, but they were not living in addictions or uh, uh, broken relationships or difficulties. Remember, this is Jerusalem. These are Jews. These are Torah-observing Jews. These are good people. They were trying to live by the Old Testament. They saw the Old Testament and the teachings of the Old Testament as the goal of their life, they were committed to fulfill what the Torah was speaking into their life. And so here were people that were committed to the truth of Scriptures, but they looked at these followers of Jesus, and they're saying, we want what you have. So what were they seeing in these followers of Jesus they weren't seeing in their own life? I believe what they were seeing was the power of the Holy Spirit and His ability to transform a human heart. And transform our lifestyles. And they were seeing people that were beginning to reflect the character and nature of Jesus out into the community. And they said, look, we are trying to live by this law. And suddenly you people are fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law with joy. With joy. With delight. And and whatever's going on, we want in on it. (laughs) We favor this over this this heaviness that we have to try to fulfill the law. We want the reality, the power that's in you. We want it in us. Uh, why does that not happen? I, I think one reason it doesn't happen in the church today is because we're not only trying to be seeker sensitive, 
uh, we're trying to be believer sensitive. <laughs> By that I mean we don't want to say anything or do anything that would suggest to people that they may have to give up their selfish lifestyle and give themselves to the lifestyle of the kingdom. We're self-sensitive instead of Jesus-sensitive. Instead of saying, Lord, we want to be like you. We want to have the life that you had, a life that was giving and caring and showed mercy and grace to the people around them. See, again, we live in this culture that's, that's so self-oriented, self-promotion and, and self-absorption and self-interest and self-enrichment uh, that I believe when the culture sees a group of people and say, look, the purpose of life is not just choosing for self. It's choosing for God and choosing to bless others. And if the Holy Spirit can make this happen in us, not by some kind of leveraging of the human will to get there, but by being fully filled with the Spirit and asking Him to transform us and make us more like Jesus. And that will cause the community to favor what's going on. You know, Paul said to, to uh, the, the, the Gentile believers in Romans, he was talking about the Jews and uh, the necessity to bring the Jews to the Lord because they still have a key role to play at the end of the age. And he says, you know, you need to hang around these people. And I'm sure many of these Gentiles who had come out of terrible backgrounds, I mean, all kind of sin and all kind of difficulties, they were saying, well, how, how can we ever make a Jew interested in our faith? Because these are, these are good people. These people, they try to live by the law and everything. And Paul says in Romans 11, he says, look, you Gentiles can make the Jews jealous. Jealous for what's going on in your life through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. For the lifestyle that you're living under the anointing of the Spirit, it can make a Jew, a good Jew, a Torah-observing Jew, it can make him jealous or her jealous for what's going on in your life. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Pam and Al Alto, who are folks in our network, were in uh, Jerusalem on a, with a group, and they had the opportunity, which is very rare, to go into the Orthodox Jewish Orthodox sector and to go and be a part of a orphanage that the Orthodox Jews run there in um, in, in the Jerusalem area. And they were told, they said, look, this, these are Orthodox Jews. You cannot mention the name of Jesus. You've got to take your crosses off. We're just going to go in and we're going to love on these kids for a day. And, uh, and we're going to do it because we love Jesus. And so we're going to go there and we're going to do this. So they went there and they spent the day. And they said there was a young girl there who it was reported to her this girl had never smiled. Just a lot of pain in, in her life and in this orphanage. By the end of the day, this girl was laughing because of this group that just kind of came in and poured the love of the Lord into their, her life and into those children's, the, the lives of those children. And as the group was leading, leaving, getting in the van to, to leave the orphanage, the rabbi who runs the orphanage, Orthodox Jew, comes out to them and he says this. These are his words. I've been watching you guys all day. I don't know what's going on in your life. But whatever it is, it makes me jealous. He was detecting the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that was reproducing in these people's lives the very characteristics of the God of Israel. Mercy, 
grace, kindness, love. He saw it in them. He says, it makes me jealous. You see, this is the way that a community can be transformed. (laughs) If we welcome the full presence of God in our midst as believers and we minister His presence out into the community believing that this grace will transform people, the community will be fearful, but they will also have great favor toward what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. And that's your calling as a church. I want to I pray over you as a church and then also give you opportunity for ministry. One of the things that are part of this church is that their teams here will be glad to minister. If this is your first time and maybe you're here because you're carrying a burden in your life, you need to know there are folks who would love to pray with you. We believe God can break into our life and do things that we can never do in our own power and strength. If you're members of this church and you feel like you have a need this morning, we want to make the opportunity available for you to receive ministry in your life. So let's stand together. I'll ask the teams, if they will, to come to the front. for, um, And we're going to go back into worship. As we worship, uh, you might just kind of put your, you know, bring your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, if there's anything in my life uh, that I need to uh, kind of be in tune with in order to be a means of your life and grace in this, this community and, uh, and receive more of your manifest presence in my life, your power, I want to do that. So we're going to pray.